Well, good morning again, everyone. Um, uh, I, I, I guess everybody heard the news this week about the, the Chinese spy balloon. Uh, did you get word that they did shoot the thing down? Um, and, and it's interesting, as they, uh, as they finally got close enough to it to really see uh, what it looked like, that this is what they discovered. <clears throat> and <laughs> they, they, they couldn't determine really whether it was a spy balloon or a weather balloon, as the Chinese were saying, because he was alternating between looking down with binoculars or licking his finger and sticking his up and to see which way the wind was blowing. But anyway, <laughs> thank you. You can take that off the screen. <laughs> oh. <clears throat> well, it really is, um, it really is serious business. Um, I, you may have also heard early in the week a, a memo that was leaked that had been sent out by a United States Air Force General, Michael Minahan, to all of his commanding officers, uh, really an in-your-face memo telling them that they needed to up the intensity of their training processes in preparation, what he was predicting would be war with China in 2025 over the issue of Taiwan. Now, I pray that that will not be the case, obviously, very much so. But the fact is, for us as believers, uh, we have been involved in a war already, a war that's been going on for, for quite some time, a long, 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 long time. It is a war, a, a spiritual war of cosmic proportions and also very intensely personal the Apostle Peter, who knew what it was like to be on the losing end of that spiritual war, wrote in 1 Peter 5.8, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And this spiritual war is one for which we as Christ followers need to intensify our personal training processes. And that's what I'm hoping that we can accomplish today as we look at this amazing story that took place very early in Jesus' ministry right after his baptism. Jesus shows us how to engage in spiritual warfare. This is a battle that takes place again right after what would have been an incredible spiritual high for him following his baptism. But we looked at that last week in Josh's excellent message. Uh, Matthew 3, 6, and 16, and 17, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. I mean, in essence, this is God the Father giving his son a huge hug, huge hug, while at the same time telling Jesus just how much he loves him and how very proud he is of him. I mean, what a wonderful way for Jesus to begin his public ministry. And then we're told in the very next verse in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4 and verse 1, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
You may recall the process by which steel is made stronger. It's called a tempering process. You temper steel to make it stronger. What they do in that process is they heat it up to this enormous high temperature. In fact, just under what would be the temperature high enough to melt it, they heat it all the way up to there and then allow it to cool down. And that makes steel stronger. In essence, God the Father is saying, I love you. I'm so proud of you. And now we are going to get you ready for the enormous challenges that you are about to face as you begin this ministry, this ministry that is going to change the world. We're going to temper you. You're going to be tempered by being tempted by the devil. Now, speaking of the devil, we tend to make two mistakes when it comes to our view of him. One, we tend to over, we tend to underestimate First of all, we tend to underestimate him. We just saw what Peter said about the devil. The devil wants to devour you. That underestimation, you know, we, we typically think of him as this harmless little you know, red-suited creature that's carrying a pitchfork with horns, and he sits on our, one of our shoulders trying to tell us you know, what we should do wrong. But again, Peter reminds us he, the devil wants to devour you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to do everything he can to to make your life one which will take glory away from God in some way, shape, form, or fashion. We tend to underestimate him. At the other end of that, the other mistake we tend to make is to overestimate him. Now, some of you that are boomers uh, may remember a a famous comedian back in the 70s and 80s named Flip Wilson. Anybody remember Flip Wilson? Yeah, he was great. And he had this wonderful character, one of the characters that he did, uh, named Geraldine. Geraldine. Remember Geraldine? I mean, everything that went wrong in Geraldine, for Geraldine, everything she ever did wrong, and she always said, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. And uh, on one particular occasion, her, uh, she went out and bought this very, very expensive dress and came home with it. Her husband was upset. She spent so much money on this dress. And she, she, he asked her, why did you do this? She said, the devil made me do it. And he said to her, why didn't you say to him, get thee behind me, Satan? She said, I did. But he said, it looked good from back there too. (laughs) We can't blame the devil for everything, (laughs) plain and simple. Again, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Look at this picture. This is a picture of that wilderness. Those of you that have been with us to the Holy Land, uh, that may look somewhat familiar because we we get glimpses of that wilderness on the drive up from the Dead Sea up to Galilee. And this is the wilderness in which Jesus was tempted. It it was a harsh, beautiful in some ways, but a very harsh place. To say the least, it was not a fun place to hang out. One of the nicknames for this wilderness is the devastation. That's where Jesus went. Verse 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, you you remember what fasting is. Fasting is denying uh, ourselves of food for a, a temporary period of time for the purpose of focusing on God the Father, for focusing upon God and his purposes for our lives. 
the Lord Jesus, during those 40 days, exercised this incredible, enormous physical discipline of going without food all that time, again, for the purpose of devoting himself to God, for the purpose of focusing on his Father and the mission for which he had been sent to accomplish in this world. Amazing. Now, the longer, of course, that he went without food, the more weak he became physically, while at the same time, the stronger he became in his spirit. I don't really think that Jesus was marking time on a calendar, you know, waiting for that 40th day to finally say, oh, man, I'm done. It's finished. I'm over. No, no, he, he was trusting his father every step along. His heart, as, as one writer said, his heart was, uh, during that fast, his heart was so fastened to his father that he was able to completely trust that God would let him know when the time was done. And so now, with Jesus, again, physically at his weakest point, the devil thinks that this is an opportune moment now to go on the attack. And he attacks Jesus first at the very thing, at the very point upon which Jesus had been leaning the most during that 40-day period, his trust, his trust in his Father, his trust in God the Father. Verse 3, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. In other words, the devil shows up and says, hey, Jesus, it's been long enough, hadn't it, man? It's been long enough. I mean, who in their right mind thinks it's okay to go without food for 40 days? You're lucky to still be alive. I know, I know you think you heard God's voice at your baptism say that you are his son, but is this really how a father treats his son, at least a son that he really loves and cares for? I mean, if that's the father you're trusting, then... I think you're barking up the wrong tree here, Jesus. Because if you really are the son of God, then what are you doing out here starving to death? Why are you going through such physical humiliation? If you're the son of God, change these stones into bread right now and break the fast. Get some nourishment in you so you can at least walk out of here alive. If you really are the son of God. If you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, John 1.12 says that you are a child of God. That means that God is your Father. So let me ask the big question, are you trusting God as your Father? How much do you trust God as your Father? Here's the truth about trust. <laughs> you don't really know how much you trust God until you really have to trust God, <laughs> until you really have to trust Him. Now, most of the time we think of uh, that means in terms of major crises of some kind. And there's no doubt that the depth of our trust in God is certainly tested in times of major crises, whether it's a, anything from a devastating diagnosis to losing your home in a tornado. But in actuality, think about this, in actuality, the depth of our trust in God is most often measured in the common 
everyday struggles with our wants and our desires. We all have needs and desires, right? We all do. And those needs and desires are good. They are God-given needs, God-given desires. But God has created us with those good desires, the desire for food, for water, for sleep, for sex, for relationships, for companionship. Again, all those are good. But it is at the point of those needs and desires where Satan most often attacks us. Again, think of it. It's at that level where we most often fail to trust in God as our Father. We most often fail to trust Him as a good Father. I mean, we all know how that works, right? We decide that God is not providing for our needs in the way that we want Him to, and we think we're going to die if we don't get that. And so we decide to seek our own gratification apart from Him. So we go over here and start making our own bread. You need food, but you're tempted to overeat. You need money to live on, but you give in to the temptation to take some out of the change drawer at work or cheat on your taxes. You desire sex, but you give in to the temptation of pornography or, or illicit relationships. You convince yourself that you just can't trust God with those things any longer. It's really a very dangerous sense of entitlement, isn't it? So how did Jesus deal with this temptation? Verse 4, Matthew 4. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus responds, he counterattacks with the word of God. You remember when the, the Apostle Paul is describing our spiritual armor, our weapons of warfare in Ephesians 6, when he gets to talking about the Bible, what does he call the Bible? He calls the Bible what? The sword of the Spirit. And Jesus is showing us how to wield that sword effectively. <clears throat> he quotes here from the book of Deuteronomy from part of one of the three speeches that the book of Deuteronomy contains that Moses gave to the people as they finally arrived out of the wilderness to on the edge of the promised land before they crossed over in the Jordan to take possession of the land. Deuteronomy 8, verse 1 through 3. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna which neither you nor your ancestors had ever known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, the Israelites had to learn 
that God is indeed a good father and wants to fulfill their desires his way, his way, the best way, in order that, as Moses said, that they could live and increase and possess the land according to his word. They had to learn in that wilderness then what Jesus knew so well, that man does not live on bread alone. Man does not live on money alone. Man does not live on sex alone. But the man or woman who truly wants to live, truly wants to live, wants to experience the abundant life that Christ came to give, will choose to live on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. In other words, instead of giving in to your temptation and going rogue and trying to fulfill your desires your way and according to your will, choose to trust God, that he is indeed your good father, that he will provide your needs. Trust that he does love and care for you and will meet your needs in his time, in his way, according to his will and his word. Now, again, the devil will try to tempt you to think otherwise, but again, if you want the best, the best for your life, if you want that abundant life in Christ, if you want life as God intends, Start with realizing that your physical needs are not what is most important in life. That's why Jesus will later say in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Satan then goes on the attack a second time. Matthew 4, verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. I'll take a look at this next picture. This is uh, the, the modern day what's called the Temple Mount, where, where the, the temple used to stand. It's, it's now the, the mosque that's there instead. But the, the, this corner that you see, uh, the, this is the southeast corner of the Temple Mount. That road uh, obviously was not there back then, but, but this has been, been about the area that Satan would have taken uh, Jesus to. And that, that was about a 400-foot uh, a drop. This overlooks the, the valley of K- the Kidron Valley, and that would have been about a 400-foot drop from that point down to the bottom of this valley. The devil is saying, in a not-so-subtle way, okay, Jesus, so you really do trust God, huh? You really do trust him, huh? Well, if you really are the son of God, then prove to the world just how trustworthy and loving and caring your father is by doing a swan dive off of this, And let him catch you. Let him save you. I I mean, the Bible, the one which you just quoted to me a few minutes ago, says in the book of Psalms, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And 
Speaking of a stone, if you do this, you will kill two birds with one stone. You will prove that God the Father really does care about you. And then second, you will demonstrate in such a specta- with such a spectacular performance in such a way that there's no way that anyone would not believe that you really are the Messiah. And they will make you king right now, Jesus. Verse 7, Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus again quotes from the book of Deuteronomy, this time from chapter 6 and and verse 16, which says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Then it adds, As you did at Massa. Now, it's important, it's helpful for us to understand the context of what this is. This, is, this actually it was referring to a, a story we looked at not that long ago from Exodus chapter 17, 7. Uh, remember that God rescued the Israelites out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Moses was the leader, brought them out of Egypt, uh, brought them out of that slavery, and in the process, dramatically demonstrated his love and care for them by performing miracle after miracle, the the ten plagues, which ultimately resulted in Pharaoh finally letting the people go. And then the, the greatest miracle in the Old Testament, the parting of the Red Sea, which allowed the Israelites to cross over on dry land while the Egyptian army was hotly pursuing them behind. But the, the Egyptian army didn't make it, did they? Again, miracle after miracle, they see God do. And, and now as they trek through the wilderness, headed to the promised land after, that, after the Red Sea, as they trek to, through the wilderness to the promised land, they came to a place where there was no water. And they began to fuss. <laughs> I mean, in spite of all that they had seen, they ended up actually accusing Moses, their leader, and the one they knew represented God in their midst, accusing him of leading them out of Egypt and bringing them to that place in the wilderness so that they could just die out there. Well, God very graciously does give them water. Remember, he tells Moses to take a staff and strike a rock, and out of that rock came enough water to, to feed the millions that were there. And that story concludes with this statement in Exodus 17, verse 7. And he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled. That's what Meribah means. And because they tested, that's what Massa means, they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Does Does God care for us or not? I mean, does he really love us or not? Have you ever been tempted to wonder that? Ever been tempted to think, Lord, do you really? I mean, I mean, things in your life are going in such a lousy direction that you start wondering, questioning, God, do you really care for me? Are you for me or are you against me, God? I mean, are, are you really there? Complaining, griping, grumbling, doubting, questioning. What we're really doing when we do that is testing God. We're testing him. Now, don't misunderstand. It's okay to tell God how you feel. Let me just read the Psalms, read the book of Job. But don't question his love for you. Don't do that. Think about how you feel as, as a father. You know, I never minded my girls telling me how they felt. 
long as they did it in a nice way, <laughs> okay? But if they ever started accusing me of not really loving or caring for them, that was a different deal. <laughs> Jesus refused to try to test God's love in such a manipulative, selfish, crazy way as jumping off the temple. He was fully confident in God's love and care for him. And obviously, he also refused to do something crazy like this to try to convince the people that he was the Messiah. Yes, he would go on to be doing miracles during his ministry, but he never would do such with such for such a self-aggrandizing purpose. His mission was not to become a Messiah king and rule the world from Jerusalem. He did not come to be popular. He came to be rejected, to be despised, a suffering Messiah. He rejected the devil's temptation to bypass God's plan for him, which was to give his life as a ransom for many. That is what Satan is trying to ultimately accomplish as he tempts Jesus. And we, a little more subtly in those first two, but we see it clearly in this third and final temptation. Matthew 4, verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Now, when we read that, I mean, at first glance, we might think, well, so why would this even be a temptation for Jesus? I mean, to, to really bend the knee to, to the devil? Well, let's think about it for a minute. What the devil is offering him is what he will eventually receive. <clears throat> Philippians 2, 10 and 11, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the, under the earth. Every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then so many prophetic messianic promises. And this is just one among many in the Old Testament. Psalm 2, verse 8, I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. So again, why is, is this offer a temptation for Jesus? Why is this offer from Satan a temptation if Jesus is going to eventually receive all of that anyway? Here's why. Here's why. Satan is offering all of that to him now minus the cross. Jesus, why go through all that terrible suffering and pain and agony? Why, why, why? You can have it all right now. I mean, all you have to do is just bow, bend the knee to me. I mean, nobody's around to see it take place. I mean, just, just a quick little bending of the knee to me in worship. Do you realize that this is what the devil says to us all the time, too? He says, go ahead. It's just a little compromise here. You know what you want. You know what you're craving to have, so go ahead. You're entitled to it. You deserve it. All you have to do to get it is just a little bend of the knee to me, to worship me. Now, you'd be... be you, you may be thinking right off the bat, there's no way, no way I would never worship the devil. 
We need to think some more. Because you see, the bottom line for all sin is that, in, is that it's an act of worship toward Satan. You say, no, 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 that's not right. That's not right. Again, think. If you were worshiping God, you would not do what you're being tempted to do, right? You know God is saying, don't do that, don't do that. I have something so much better for you. Oh, the devil's saying, oh, man, go for it. Go for it. You, again, you so deserve it. So it's in that sense that every time we sin, we worship, we bend the knee to the devil. You're doing his will. You're letting him call the shots in your life. Once more, Jesus delivers a decisive answer out of the book of Deuteronomy. Matthew 4.10, Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan. He's just saying, Get out of here, Satan. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You see, Jesus clearly saw it. He saw very well what the devil was offering him. That this could be an easy path to power. To power, economic power, social power, political power. He could have all that right now. And once again, without the cross. But Jesus is also clearly seeing that such a decision would be at a terrible cost of a compromised disloyalty to God the Father and at the cost of all hope of the human race for the redemption of sin. So Matthew concludes in verse 11, Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. The devil left him. Later on, the Bible tells us, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So, what can we learn here? What does Jesus teach us about how to overcome temptation? You know, we sometimes think of Jesus as though he was some superhero, you know, walking around in a monk's outfit or something, disguised as a humble rabbi, but not at all. Hebrews 2.18 says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. A couple chapters later, Hebrews 4 says that Jesus empathizes with our struggles because he was tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. But you know what is the amazing thing here? Jesus fought his battle with temptation with the exact same resources that are available to you and me. The exact same things. With prayer. He'd been praying and fasting for 40 days. He, he fought with prayer. With the Spirit, he embraced the, 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 the empowering work of the Holy Spirit in his life. You see, the Spirit led him into the wilderness, but he didn't just drop him off and say, I'll see you in 40 days. Prayer, the Spirit, and especially we see Jesus utilizing 
the word of God. Again, what did he call it? What what did Paul call it? The sword of the Spirit. Jesus successfully fought back. That's one of our couple of uh, one of our two or three offensive weapons. We have the spiritual armor, but that's the, the sword of the Spirit is an offensive weapon. Offensive weapon. Jesus successfully fought back with the sword of the Spirit with Scripture. <clears throat> there was a verse that I think I first learned when I was a, a kid back in vacation Bible school. I had the blessing of growing up in church and and. Um, Psalm 119.11, Psalm 119.11, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. How do you hide God's word in your heart? You memorize it. You memorize it. So here's, here's just one practical thing as I wrap this up this morning. Just one practical exercise I want to encourage you to do after you leave here today. Do this. One, identify just three areas in your life in which you struggle the greatest with temptation. Your, heart, your most difficult struggles with temptation. What are the three most difficult struggles you have with temptation in your life? Second, Get out your Bible. In the back of your Bible, you'll find what's called a concordance. If you don't have a, a concordance in your Bible for whatever reason, uh, you can go online and just, just uh, Google uh, topical concordance. And look in that concordance under the subject that, that you're looking for, whatever difficult temptation that is, look under that subject, and then find some verses related to that. And pick out the one that, you, that, 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 that grabs your heart the most and memorize it. Doesn't have to be a hundred words, <laughs> just something brief. What was the one Jesus used? The very first one: "Man does not live by bread alone." Anybody can memorize that, right? <laughs> memorize that verse. One verse for each of those three struggles. I mean, that's three verses. You adding that up, right? <laughs> and then when you're hit with that temptation, start quoting that verse. Keep repeating it. I mean, I mean it out loud. Keep repeating it out loud over and over and over until the urge of that temptation subsides, if not completely go away. That can be so helpful, so helpful. Right, just again, one example. You're tempted to overeat, so you, you, you memorize the verse that Jesus used. Man does not live by bread alone. You're tempted to overeat. Man does not live by bread alone. Man does not live by bread alone. You're seeing that ice cream. You're seeing that extra helping you or whatever the case might be. Man does not live by bread alone. You keep saying that out loud over and over until, I don't need that. (laughs) I just thought I needed that. Will you try that? Everybody say amen. (laughs) Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we give you great, great thanks for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you that through him that you are also our Father, that we're your child. And we thank you that you are such a good Good Father. Lord, we want to, in a, 
a new way, a fresh way, a way of recommitment this morning, declare our trust in you is our good Father. Lord, as we deal with temptation day in and day out, Lord, may we remember the example of Jesus Christ as we have hidden your word in our heart that we might not sin against you. We ask these things in Jesus' name.